0: This is Transistor.FM.
1: Hey, this is Justin Jackson, and you are listening to Product People. Hey everybody. I am back with another episode. This week, we're talking with Mike Rode. He's the guy that illustrated all of the 37 Signals books. Uh, now they're Basecamp, but you remember, uh, Rework and Remote, all of those great illustrations, those are Mike Rhodes. We talk about his new books, which basically are teaching people how to draw and how to do sketching the way he does it. So stay tuned for that. Haven't had an episode in a while. I've been uh, away. I was in Portland for the XOXO conference, which is a really interesting, unique uh, conference. It's a, both a festival and uh, you know the typical speakers during the day. Uh, I came away feeling really inspired, actually, to uh, specifically to make more stuff. And I wrote about that on my blog, JustinJackson.ca. Um, if you go there, you'll see a, a blog post called Make More Stuff. And uh, yeah, I just felt inspired to be around all these people that were building really interesting things. And uh, some of whom were just excited to be creating things, not necessarily creating things for money, which was refreshing. Anyway, that's enough from me. Let's get to this conversation with Mike Rode. You're going to love it. <laughs> Hey, it's Justin Jackson here, and I am with Mr. Mike Rode. How's it going, Mike? Hey, it's going pretty good. Now, Mike, you are a designer and an author, but I think a lot of people would know your name because you were the illustrator for Rework and Remote. Yep. And uh, now you've got uh, a few of your own books, which we're going to talk about pretty soon here. You've got the sketchnote Handbook and the brand new book, the sketchnote workbook. Uh, first of all, how did how did you end up getting connected with those guys at 37 Signals? How did that happen?
0: Well, that was a long-term uh, process. Um, it began with me actually sketchnoting one of their uh, early events that they put on. They put on, I think, three or four events with uh, Kudal Partners, who they oh. at the time had space with and uh, called the Seed Conferences. Um, I went to the first one, I paid for it and I just wanted to try, I had just discovered the sketchnoting thing, which we could talk about what it is and I wanted to test it out. So I was doing all these conferences and just trying it out and experimenting and, uh, put my stuff up on Flickr and uh, they found it and posted a post on their blog, which, uh, was really instrumental in making sketchnoting more visible to people, especially in the tech community. And, um. Then we just became friends because they liked the way I interpreted their thinking. And when the time came for them to do uh, illustrations in the book, um, I was a natural choice because I used their products, I understood them, and they could see my work, right? They had seen me actually interpret their ideas before. So it was a a natural fit and not too much of a risk. I mean, certainly could have been a risk, but uh, that's how it happened. We just kept on working together. And one day, Jason emailed me and said, hey, you want to illustrate our book? And I said, yeah.
1: (laughs) That's... that's awesome and and what uh, let's talk about sketch noting what is sketchnoting?
0: well the, the quickest the quickest way I, I like to describe sketch noting is basically notes plus so it's like the notes you take now and you're just adding things to it in this case drawings or lettering or icons or separators and all that does is help provide structure um, it gives emphasis because you know it's important that you're Documents aren't just all gray writing; it gets kind of boring after a while. So, when you can spice it up with a drawing of an idea you're having, or emphasizing the headlines with uh, typography, or marking things with icons, that repeats so that you can see patterns. That's really what it's all about. It's just a, a way of thinking and capturing your thinking visually.
1: Yeah, and if you look at uh, if you look at these workbooks, uh, you sent me a copy of the of the the workbook, and when you take a look at these. These notes that you do from events and things, they're it's completely different than re- than reading uh you know like normal notes that you might take in a class or at a conference. It's it actually kind of comes alive. You can maybe even remember the, the you know the nuances of what the speaker was talking about when you read them over again.
0: Yeah, I think that's really key. And you know, um, as good as it is for other people to see and as fun as it is for other people to see. I always say that uh, sketch notes are first for you and then for others. Um, that is good on a couple of levels. One, because you are there and you have uh, connections with the notes you take more directly. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, um, <clears throat> I think it's important that you kind of kind of do them for yourself, and it makes it a fun experience. Um, other people can look at them and certainly draw value, but I think it's most valuable for you as the creator, because it means something more to you. But it's fun to do. I mean, it's when you once you do them and they're a lot of fun, you want to do them more. So it's kind of addicting a little bit.
1: Yeah. And how did you know, because now you have you have two books. For the first one, how did you know that this would make a good book?
0: I had no idea. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> I had my friend Von Glischke, uh, who I had uh, Thai food dinner with. He and his wife, and my wife and I, we were out in Portland actually for a Don Miller storyline conference, and uh, I met him for dinner. And he was like, "Dude, you got to write a book about Sketchstone." like, "Okay." Um, <laughs> and my friend Patrick Rohn had been bugging me for years, like, oh, you got to write a book, got to write a book." And then um, he said, "You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to my editor right now." And he like on his way home, like he dropped us off at our hotel, and on his way home, he emailed Nikki, uh, who's now my editor, like, "You gotta you gotta sign this guy. He's got this great idea." And he introduced me, um, and it just sort of went from there. We did a proposal. Um, and then the book, uh, they made an offer and then we did the first book, but I had we had really no clue. We just sort of did what we thought was right. I think they felt like I had enough platform and people that were following me that it made sense to take a risk on me. And I'm sure it was probably kind of a risky proposition because not only did we take on this unusual area, which really had no one had ever written about it. There'd been some visual thinking writing around, you know, Dave Gray had written some things and, um. Austin Kleon, my friend Austin Kleon had released some, some stuff that was along those lines before me. So there was a little bit of precedence. And of course, Dan Rome's books did really well. So there was sort of like, ah, we think there might be something here. Um, and they gave it a shot and we really went in a different direction because, um, uh, Peach Pit Press, who's my publisher, they typically do tech books. So I mean, it's, uh, like how to use Photoshop and photography and it's sort of these things that often rely on technology, which goes obsolete. And then you've got to do second and third and fourth editions just to keep it current. And they really liked the idea of this principled thing that was sort of evergreen, right? It never really went out of style. You could use it on paper or iPads or whatever might come. Uh, so that was positive, but then we sort of pushed them in, in an interesting direction because we went two color. So the book's all two color um, mm-hmm. and it's got rounded corners and we tried some funky stuff on the cover to make it smooth and Feel a little different. The paper stock's heavier. It's a cream paper stock, so that like everything about it is kind of weird for a tech press. But they, uh, the book really sold well, and that's uh, part of the reason why I got the second book, the workbook, to expand on the concept and spread it in some different directions. So
1: yeah, now a lot of the people I talk to are self-publishers. They they self-publish the book themselves. They mm-hmm. do it all themselves. It's interesting to talk to you and. And hear about your perspective. So, how has the the traditional or more traditional uh, publishing process been been for you?
0: I've actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, you know, I went into making a book knowing that I wasn't going to make a million dollars at it. Although there's still time, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's still the books are still selling. They've been translated in a couple of languages. So, I think the thing that I liked about having a publisher, in particular this publisher, um, was the flexibility that they had and their their ideas of being creative around the, the concept of the book and thinking of it as an experience right um, I have a literary agent that sort of laid out for me the two kinds of book publishing you can do one is trade press which is like the stuff you see at airports and then tech press which is like peach pit and um, some others some other ones O'Reilly they do more technical stuff um, mm-hmm. and they sort of break into two groups and then of course there's educational which is like a whole other thing but um, one of the downsides of doing like a trade press book that you'd see in an airport is you got to fit into their rigid style, right? It's really structured. And I would have had to do lots of text and they would have been more text than images. And if you see my book, it's mostly images and then supporting text. So it's a different model completely. Yeah. Uh, you know, Peach Pit was super open and a lot of it had to do with my acquisitions editor, Nikki McDonald, who was really creative and thinking of ways that we could do something different. Like she envisioned the book that she wanted and sort of saw me being able to produce it and then help me to do it. So I've been, I've had a really great experience with peach pit and I think they provided lots of opportunities, maybe because they're a smaller, I mean, they're an arm of Pearson. So that's a huge company, but they're sort of this sort of a little bit of a scrappy independent in some ways. So I think they're more willing to take risks and try things than a bigger company would sort of force you into their mold. So I really, I've, I've liked the experience. Um, you know, having that distribution and being able to get into places is really nice. Um, being able to send review copies to anybody in anywhere in the world that I want to, as long as I've got their address and in the case of international phone number is pretty cool too. So when people ask for review copies I can just say, Sure, some of your stuff, some of your info and you know, within a couple of weeks there's a book on their doorstep and it's pretty cool. So Oh, that is cool. That's yeah. that's
1: a big difference between the, the self publishing model. Yeah, uh, because you don't have any of that infrastructure there.
0: Yeah and I think um the other thing is uh they they provide all the support as far as um all the purchasing stuff so I don't have to handle that. You know the thing that you trade off of course is you're getting a smaller percentage a much smaller percentage but you're also not taking on the burden or the risk I guess. So I mean it's that trade off and you know I I'm not saying I'm always going to be uh doing it traditionally I'm I'm I've been kicking around ideas for doing independent stuff and uh just hasn't the timing hasn't worked out r- just right yet but i think there's definitely a place for that and doing some experimenting around not even necessarily books could be videos or i've talked about doing some kind of a club or it's all kinds of ideas that could be done i just want to take my time and make sure i choose the right one and do it well i think that's sort of my signature is trying to find the right thing and do it well rather than just do everything and it's not always easy to do that
1: yeah no, i I think that's helpful actually and even the idea of finding a really good editor. Oh yeah. Um, I mean it sounds like your editor was really helpful in crafting the book and uh I I think that's one of the challenges people that are writing the books by uh, book by themselves have is that they have to they're often by themselves, you know, in their cold basement yeah. trying to figure this thing out. But if you can have someone saying to you no, this is the book I want to read that I could see how helpful that would be. Yeah.
0: I th- you know, the thing, the other thing I've learned is, um, a couple of things, how powerful a good team is. Like if you build a really good team, like there's nothing like it. Like, um, so the guy that I've got shooting the video, so not only, uh, does you, when you order the book, do you get the book, but there's a code in the back for two hours and 40 minutes of video in the workbook. And, uh, my buddy, uh, Brian Arca shot all of it. He uses a Canon 5d Mark two. He loves storytelling with video. And, um, we had we had an opportunity to do some really interesting stuff with it, like all on location shooting, lots of uh, shots of me drawing and then talking about what I'm doing, so you have a sense of like what I'm thinking, so you can pick up on it. And they were really open to that; they pretty much let us uh, do that. And I had a team that I put together: a guy that did the soundtrack, and another friend who is really good at writing scripts. So I just gave him the manuscripts, and he like turned it into these great scripts. And then we together, Brian and I work through it, and then we would just shoot it. And he was really great at knowing what he wanted and then producing a video out of it. So, you know, all along the way, the uh, developmental editors, which I'm learning that there's more than one kind of editor now. So there's the acquisitions editor, the one that brings it in. Okay. And then there's a developmental editor, and that's the person that sort of takes it from that point, and it can be, they can blend, of course. They take it from the next point, and they sort of shape the product from the perspective of a neutral buyer. So you might be very excited about it and have these ideas and they will tell you, well, you know, that's a really great idea, but have you thought about this? And then you you can, of course, push back a little bit and say, well, you know, I really want to do this. And they'll, you know, they'll understand that. But they try and make, give you a realistic view and, and help you shape it in a good way. And then there's copy editors and they're the ones, in my case, at the end who go through and just make sure you have things spelled right and the grammars right and all that sort of that final check. So, um, it's pretty interesting. And you know, there's some editors do all those things and, uh, in some other places they're divided up. So, uh, it's, it's a really interesting model and I love my editors. And if they told me to do stuff, I pretty much just did it. Like there were only a few cases where I pushed back a little bit because yeah. I knew that they had my best in mind and they want to have a great product. And I trust that they are independent sources that are looking at what I'm trying to achieve, especially as we got going. Um, and seeing what I wanted to achieve and knowing where I was heading, and then, when you have a really good team, they just really help you shape it in a way that you couldn't have done on your own, so it's a huge huge advantage if you can find a good partner that's an editor so
1: yeah now the the hardest part some people say the hardest part isn't writing the book, it's marketing the book. So what kinds of things have you done to <laughs> let people know about the book and uh, you know, s- spread the word and market it?
0: Well, I would say I think they're equally hard. <laughs> um, I'm a little bit of a unique case because not only did I write the book, but um, I sketched the whole thing out and then I illustrated most of it and then managed all the – I had lots of people in the book, so I managed all those submissions and got permissions and I'm an old print designer, so I actually did all the print design production all the way up to handing the files off to the printer. So uh, so it's a little more unusual for me. So for me, it felt like both are tough, but they're just tough in different ways. Um, And they're both fun in different ways, right? Like shaping the product is sort of one half of it. And then when you get to go promote it, it's kind of fun to think about like, how could I reach out to people in an interesting way that's And, you know, I think of it like, okay, I don't have a lot of budget. You know, my publisher doesn't give me a ton of money. They can give me opportunities to maybe write articles or do some promotion on their site, but it's, you know, that's got some limits. So I need to be active in seeking reviewers and getting review copies to them and answering questions on Twitter and, um, just sort of letting things emerge and then going with the flow. Like, um, this time I noticed a lot of people were taking pictures of the book when it arrived. So when I would ever see, whenever I would see that. I would retweet it on Twitter and uh, and just let other people see that. And that was really powerful because I think it's sort of a fun thing for people to be noticed for having decided to pick it. And just a fun, you know, it's everybody wins there. Um, there was a funny situation on the, on the handbook where there was a guy on Twitter that asked and he included my handle and said, yeah, I heard about this handbook. Is it worth getting? And I thought it was interesting that he included me. But I thought for a minute, I thought, well, I could answer this. And, of course, I'm a biased, you know, author because I wrote the thing. So <laughs> what else am I going to say? But, yes, you should buy it. So my thought was, well, what would happen if I just retweeted it and see what happened? So I did. And, like, eight or nine people, like, pounced on him immediately and said, it's awesome. Go buy it. And he, like, after, after the ninth person or something, he was like, okay, back off. I'm going to buy it. I'll buy it. <laughs> so, you know, it's, um, a lot of it has to do with building a community. And that has been taking place longer than the book. So that was in process before the book came along. So, you know, all the talk you hear about building your platform is really true. I think it's fun when you've got a platform of people that are expecting it. Um, Yeah. And, you know, uh, the other thing that's a little different that I learned from Austin Kleon was um, promoting the book as I made it. Um, He's done some of that. Like he was, as he would research, he would post stuff and write his thinking. Um, I had a little different tack because the book is pretty visual. I took pictures of sketching and drawing and building the book all the way through the process. And people really seemed to dig it like they would see things unfolding and getting closer to finish. And they would just get really excited about the book coming. Um, that was just the unique benefit of having a very visual book. Um, yeah. So, And then I would take all those posts and I would sort of uh, gather them up and make blog posts. And I sort of did a blog post. Uh, process for both books. It was really, uh, really popular. People liked being alerted to like where I was in the process. And I was super honest about stuff that was going on. I mean, in in this book, for instance, uh, my wife had emergency back surgery, like right in the middle of it. And we had to put the whole thing on hold for like three weeks and get her back surgery and get her recovery up. And you know, there was a period of time where I wasn't sure would I finish this book. And I felt like, you know, everything was sort of Mm -hmm. coming apart. And we just kept on going. I was pretty honest about it on the blog and people were really supportive and helpful. And so I, that was, you know, it's interesting how it sort of came back to me in that way of having this community that was supporting me and that, you know, there's there's huge benefits to having that community and I learn about it every day. It's really fun to have a supportive community.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I've been thinking about a lot is that it actually takes people uh, a lot of impressions or a lot of touch mm-hmm. points on a product before they actually decide to buy. And I think one thing that sharing your process does is it it gives them a, this constant reminder. And so by the time you announce the book, it's not like they're coming to it cold. Right. They've already they've already thought about it seven times. <laughs> and that that can be so helpful, especially when people are making purchasing decisions, you Right. know, it's a t- decision to take that credit card out of the wallet, go to Amazon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um most of the time people don't like just hear about something and buy it at that same moment. It takes some moments before that.
0: Yeah. And people forget about that too. I mean, they forget the 20 other times they heard about it and now they've decided to do it. I have I've observed that in my, in myself too, like software I've been using and I just decide to buy it one day or, you know, it's an interesting process and that's, it's weird for me as a, as sort of a marketer, like, man, do I really want to tweet this again? I just tweeted this like yesterday, but it's like, yeah, but it's like a huge flowing river. Like you're lucky if somebody sees that bottle floating by, right? Yeah. Maybe they'll see like a couple of bottles floating by, but having a captive audience, like you say, where you show a process and that sort of came from, so I've been a designer for a long time and my process evolved, uh, especially in the last 10 or so years where I started including my clients in the process of doing their work. So a lot of it involved sketching from websites to logos to icons to now illustrations. Uh, that was the process I used for rework with Jason and David. You know, I did pencil sketches that, that we wrote out like what they were thinking, and they maybe about half they knew what they wanted and half they had no clue and depended on me to come up with interesting ideas. So we just sat down, sort of wrote out what we needed, and I just started sketching and posting ideas up on Basecamp for them to see. And that process, that interactive process of sketching and refining and and solving the problem even in pencil has been really powerful so i could see the power that had in a small group like in you know client work which is maybe one to ten people or something and i was curious to see if that would apply uh further and it seemed like it did it was a combination of austin and what he's doing on tumblr and then uh, just sort of experimenting with this idea of making a blog post uh, journey so you could actually follow it. It worked really well with the, with the sketch note handbook, which nobody knew about. So, I mean, I almost needed that to gain some attraction and, you know, tried to uh, do things like I would shoot pictures and then put them on Instagram and then use Instagram's ability to put it on Twitter and Facebook and uh, Tumblr and Flickr as a nice pipeline. So I would only put it in one place and it would appear in all these other places Um, that really helped a lot. Um, So, it's, I think a lot of it is just sort of experimenting. Look at what could be interesting and try it and then just sort of observe it and see how it's working for you. And that seems like the process that works pretty well for me.
1: Uh, what a lot of people want to know is how do you build a community? How how did you build that hmm. sketchnote army that you have?
0: That's an interesting question. I think um, if I look back, you know, the sketchnote army website came – a little bit later. So I'd been posting a lot of my own stuff and I'm a Midwesterner. So um, there's this tendency to feel like you're tooting your own horn a little too much. And I felt like that when I was posting all my sketch notes, like, okay, I'm kind of getting sick of my own stuff here. So there's other people that are doing this. How can we feature them? So I started doing things like um, I would retweet them or mention them on Twitter if I saw their stuff. And I thought, you know, it would be really, really interesting to have one place to go if you wanted to see sketchnotes, there's not kind of not really a place to go. You could sort of find some on Flickr and some on Twitter, and but they're like, you know, it's those raging streams. And trying to find something in the haystack is crazy. So I just had this idea, well, I wonder if sketchnote army, it's sort of like it was from two perspectives. One was a place to showcase work, but um, the ability to send an army of sketchnoters to a conference or an event and say, hey, let's all go send on this thing and do, sketch noting together. It I haven't realized that as much as the community, but I just started posting other people's work and it was amazing how encouraging that was for people to see their work on a website. Like it's like, you know, I'm just this guy with a WordPress site um posting your stuff. It's not that special, <laughs> but uh it's really cool for people that are not they're used to consuming and maybe not used to producing. That's a huge thing, like that step from being a consumer to a producer, and it was really exciting to facilitate that and get them excited and get them moving to where then they started sharing their own stuff on their own. And in some cases creating websites to share the stuff. So, uh, yeah, it just was a slow process of recognizing other people. I think that was the key. Like my stuff, if you search the archives, at Sketchnote army, my stuff doesn't appear too often. Uh, once in a while I'll mention books or other things, but typically it's other people's work. And that's really the focus is building, building it by recognizing other people.
1: Yeah, and that's what makes your book somewhat interactive—is this idea that you could learn something and start putting it into practice, but then there's this whole community of people doing it as well, and now there's also this, you know, precedent of people sharing what they've done, even mm-hmm. if they were never, uh, you know, an illustrator before. Now all of a sudden they're sharing these, you know, these notes with all these illustrations on them. Um, that's interesting. That whole piece there.
0: Yeah, I think um, I'm really encouraged. So um, so my secret agenda behind all this stuff is really just to get people drawing because I think a lot of people have given up on drawing because maybe in middle school there was one kid that was really good or they got in trouble in school for doodling or whatever, right? And a lot of people have sort of let go of this visual tool. It's a super powerful tool of visualization, and it comes in many forms. And we sort of often just leave it on the table like we're not using it. Um, and to encourage people to use it. This seemed like a natural way to do it and it seemed like fun and I enjoyed it. So I thought, well, if I'm enjoying it, maybe other people would enjoy it too. And to see people who are not artists give it a go and uh, give it a try was really fun to see them and they get so excited and they're so proud of the work as, as they should be for giving it a shot and trying it and seeing that they actually can capture ideas visually. It may not be art, but that's okay. We're talking about ideas here. So I'm cool with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing that comes to mind right now is a lot of people in the product people audience are thinking about what can they share? What could they create a product from? What do they know right now that, you know, they could turn into some sort of expertise or some sort of software or, you know, a book or something? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've just gone through this journey. Is there something you learned along the way in terms of, you know, how an individual can answer that question?
0: I think it's just um, sort of stepping outside yourself and being aware of what you do. Um, so here's this little story is um, this all kind of started in some ways uh, with uh, my blog where I I had this blog that I started. I actually had a, a Palm Pilot newsletter that had 10,000 subscribers back in the nineties and uh, sold it and, I just said, no yeah, uh, I built it, um, basically f- from my friends and family. We just, I was just really fascinated by these Palm pilots and, uh, I would write about new things or things you could do with it. It ended up being a newsletter where I'd write because everybody was doing reviews. It was kind of in a way boring, like ah, another review about that case or like, it wasn't that interesting to me. And I thought the interesting thing for me is like, you got this really powerful little computer in your pocket and you don't realize it. Like, how could you really like use the the address book or the notepad, like what kind of things could you use it for? Like practical application stuff. Um, and then the other part was I've always been kind of internationally minded. So having interviews with people around the world and their perspective of what, how do, the, how do they look, do people look at them funny when they use their palm or what things do they see? So that sort of started that whole publication mindset. And after I sold it, I was still interested in publishing I started doing this blog, but you know, at the time I really didn't have a direction. I talked about a variety of stuff and at some point, um, it was really interesting. I thought it'd be fun to share the process of how to design, how I design a logo. And I honestly did it as a promotional thing, like to get more logo design, right? Like this is my process and hopefully you'll see it. Um, and what I found is people really were fascinated to see the behind the scenes process. And so I did a lot of that stuff, um, and I realized that people were interested in seeing the process. I think we, we, what seems normal to us is really fascinating for other people. Um, think about uh, Jiro's dreams of sushi. Here's this, this master who makes sushi. Like, you know, he probably mm. thinks like, yeah. well, you know, I make sushi, like, dude, you know, it's, you've put fish in this thing and there's of course a craft to it, but we're really fascinated by watching this process and, and drawing ideas from it. So, I think if you sat and observed or even had someone else tell you the things that you do that are unique and special, um, you probably would find there's a lot of things that you know that you just don't realize uh, have value for other people. And it's often the really mundane things that uh, you don't think about. Like um, here's another example. And doing the production of the sketchnote handbook, I could see that there were going to be lots of text edits and I didn't want to handwrite all the text over again when there were changes uh, so I reached out and a friend hooked me up with a type designer together we built the sketchnote typeface, which is another product that I have, um, uh, that started as a functional thing to make the book easier. But now as a typeface that people are using, it's in a bunch of products and you can, you can purchase it. Um, so, you know, something that seemed kind of mundane and very functional, like a typeface to make my life easier turned out to be a typeface that other people like to use because it sort of has a comic sans feel without the cheesiness. So you know, it's just a matter of being aware of what things that are unique to you and then trying them out and, you know, some won't work and some will. So
1: that's, uh, I love that idea is that, you know, you can just share some things that you're already working on. And a lot of that is kind of discovered through, can be discovered through blogging. If you're Mm -hmm. already sharing things and seeing what people respond to.
0: Yeah. And you know, podcasting too. So if you do a podcast, you know, uh, I listen to some podcasts in particular, like uh, I've heard. So John Gruber has a podcast he does, and I've heard some episodes where he was talking about ideas and then it ended up forming into a post for him or a long article. So where these ideas come, you don't always know, but you have to just know yourself. Like some people, like when they start talking, like for me, a lot of times I'll talk about an idea and then some revelation will come to me like, Oh, I never, I never thought about that. Um, But it takes me like thinking out loud or sketching or, you know, just, stepping outside of myself for a minute and like observing and often like questioning, especially if I'll say, well, this is just the way you do it. Now, I'll stop myself and say, well, why, why, why is that the way we do it? And sort of when I question, sometimes that leads to interesting, you know, assumptions, like I'm assuming things that maybe aren't true. So that's maybe another way to, to observe and find them.
1: Yeah. I love that. Well that's probably a good place to end it, Mike. Uh where can people find you on the world wide web?
0: <laughs> well, uh I'm pretty active on Twitter and I'm row design everywhere, so it's R O H D E S I G N. You can find me on on Twitter and Instagram and Flickr and my website is uh rodesign.com. R O H D E S I G N dot Um Sketchnote Army is one of my products. I do that with my friends uh Mauro and Ben Ebi. Um And that's at sketchnotearmy.com. And you can see other people's sketchnote work. Um, The place to maybe go is an archive called First Sketchnotes. And you can see people that give it a shot for the first time and then submit their entries. It's pretty cool. It's amazing to see what people do. So that's another great place to check out. And uh, that's probably good. You can find pretty much everything or ask me um, and reach out and say hello. And if you want a review copy of the book, let me know.
1: And should people buy the sketchnote handbook first and then the workbook? You know, I've had
0: that question uh, asked of me before, and I think they're kind of, they were designed to stand alone. So in a nutshell, the handbook uh, sets the stage for the idea. It talks about how I came to it in more detail. Sort of gives you answers for like, why would I want to do this? How would I want to do this? What are some ways to do it? It has lots of samples of work, and it's geared towards Uh, sketch noting talks, like in meetings or at conferences. So that's really the focus uh, from a practical perspective. Um, The workbook takes it in a different direction. So it includes a chapter that has an introduction. So it's sort of a high-level introduction. Uh, And then it goes in a bunch of different directions. So um, talking about using it for planning or ideation or documenting processes or capturing experiences like food or travel. Um, or even, uh, movies and TV shows. And then finally, there's a chapter in there with some advanced techniques that I and friends have learned over a couple of years that we share. And of course, uh, they both have video. The handbook's got 70 minutes and the workbook has two hours and 40 minutes. So it's a, definitely a combination experience. And, uh, I think either one is fine. Um, if you feel like you know what sketch notes are, you could maybe jump right to the workbook and, uh, you know, you can always pick up the handbook later on too. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the the handbook encouraged me to draw for the first time I think since high school. Wow! So uh, I I really enjoyed it. Actually, it was it was uh, it was just fun to look at your process and look at these kind of guides and mm-hmm. then be able to say, well, I could do that. I could try that a little bit. And it's really um, it, there's what I liked about it is there's no pressure. I was just like, I'm just gonna do this for myself. And, yeah and try it and then i ended up trying it at a few events and i really enjoyed it so excellent um maybe i'll post something on sketch note army we'll see yeah it'd be great (laughs) we
0: definitely submit we love having all kinds of submissions the quality is not important it's about ideas so we love it
1: cool well thanks so much i really enjoyed talking to you today
0: thanks justin this has been a lot of fun i appreciate you having me on
1: That's the show for this week. Thanks for showing up. If you haven't already, go and check out ProductPeople.club. You get access to the full interview. Often it's in video. This one was just an audio uh, interview, but you get the whole unedited interview. You can hear, you know, what we talk about before and what we talk about after. Uh, plus, we have basically daily standups for solopreneurs people building their own products. We have this community of people that are sharing, bouncing ideas off each other, giving each other accountability. And what it helps is it helps fight that isolation that a lot of us independent creators feel. So productpeople.club. You can see some of the things we've been shipping over at shipped.club. I'm Justin. You can follow me on Twitter at M-I, Justin. That's the letter M, the letter I, and Justin. And you can always sign up for my newsletter. I send a newsletter every week, justinjackson.ca slash newsletter. All right, folks. I will see you again next week.
0: And another thing you could do is um, check out my uh, free email newsletter. I've been building that slowly. Um, that's where um, people are getting the the updates for, about the book. And I'm uh, looking at near the end of this year, the early next year, to making that the first place to get information. A lot like Paul Jarvis, if you know Paul Jarvis, he posts that every week. And uh, I want to move in that direction. Uh, and then key ones will show up on the website. So I'm shifting my idea a little bit there. So if you uh, want to sign up now, you'll be in position to get all that new stuff and and some new ideas and directions that I'm using there, so that'd be great.
1: Yeah, I've, I've been thinking about ways to make email newsletters more interesting, and one of the things I thought about was you know to do some sketch noting. So in, instead of like right now, what I do is I usually send a, a blog post mm-hmm. that I'm writing. Yep, I've seen those. But instead of doing that, I could I could just sketch note it and that would be unlike anything else landing yeah. in people's inboxes. Yeah.
0: that would be interesting. So, yeah,
1: there's Yeah, there's a good idea there. Cool man. Well, I'm glad we could make this happen.
0: Yeah, thanks for making it happen on short notice. Uh, it was uh, really fun. Yeah, it's cool, good, cool. good to meet well, you. I'm a big fan.
1: Well, <laughs> I am glad to, uh, Yeah, I'm glad that you you wanted to be on the show. I'm I'm I've actually haven't posted anything in the last two or three weeks. I've been so busy. So this is going to be nice. I'll have something. I might even be able to get this out this Thursday. Awesome. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm Justin and get 15% off your first year.